everyone and welcome back to Haunted History Chronicles. First of all, thank you for taking a listen to this episode. Before we begin, I just want to throw out a few ways you can get involved and help support the show. We have a Patreon page as well as an Amazon link. So hopefully if you're interested in supporting, you can find a way that best suits you. All of the links for those can either be found in the show notes or over on the website. Of course, just continuing to help spread the word of the show on social media, leaving reviews and sharing with friends and family is also a huge help. So thank you for all that you do. And now, let's get started by introducing today's podcast or guest. In the quiet suburbs near Seattle, in the year 2012, Keith Linder and his girlfriend Tina embarked on a new chapter of their lives. A picturesque home in Bothell, Washington, promised a dreamy life. Keith, a software engineer working for tech giant Microsoft, was living the life of his dreams, surrounded by the wonders of the Pacific Northwest. Little did they know, their idyllic new beginning was about to be turned upside down. Keith and Tina's story unfolds in a house that seems ordinary at first. Yet, as they settled into their new home, everyday objects began vanishing without explanation. Keys, silverware, all gone. Innocent enough, right? But sometimes what starts as a whisper can escalate into a cacophony of haunting echoes. As they brushed off these odd occurrences, an evening of watching television revealed something much more sinister. A potted plant, heavy and ornate, lifted itself from its place, defying the laws of nature. They tried to rationalize, to find a logical explanation, but the threads of normality were unraveling. Soon their nights were shattered by thunderous bangs, originating from the attic above. The source of these ear-spitting noises was elusive, defying any attempt to trace it back to its origin. Was it a spirit trapped, yearning to be heard? Or something more malevolent, clawing at the fabric of reality? Keith and Tina reached out to non-denominational ministers, hoping a blessing could dispel the mounting unease. And for a brief moment, the house fell silent. But this respite was short-lived. The phantom had merely stepped back regrouping its malevolent energy for a more harrowing display. A housewarming party was meant to celebrate their new life, yet guests experienced icy touches, spectral hands brushing against them. The air grew thick with an otherworldly presence, making the celebration feel more like a gathering of restless souls. Fear clung to the air, and reality gave way to the inescapable truth. An entity or entities had claimed their home as its own. Determined to confront this supernatural terror, Keith sought help from paranormal experts. As the days turned to years, the assaults grew more relentless. Doors slammed shut, spontaneous fires erupted, and Keith himself was thrown down the stairs, his body bearing the scars of a malevolent force. As their home spiralled into chaos, Keith recorded, documented, and searched for answers. Joining me today is Keith Linder, a professional in the IT field, 
His journey from the tech giants of the world to a battlefield of spectral forces is nothing short of astonishing. With a love for fishing, sports and sci-fi, Keith never imagined he'd become a participant in a story that defies the very laws of nature. Keith shares his experiences, giving a palpable account of some of the events, as well as joining in discussions around the paranormal. Can science and research hold the answers to the inexplicable? Will Keith's determination bring new light to the theories around poltergeist hauntings? Without further ado, prepare to immerse yourself in an account that defies reason and challenges our understanding of reality as we delve into the realm of the paranormal and the haunting story of the Bothell House. Hi Keith, thank you so much for joining me today. Uh, hi Michelle, thanks for uh, having me. Do you want to just start by telling us a little bit about yourself and your background? First things first, I, I live in the, in the uh, United States, in Seattle, Washington. Um, I'm a uh, IT project manager, had been for quite some time. In May of 2012, moved into a home in the suburbs, a single dwelling unit outside of Seattle um, that was uh, later determined um, to be poltergeist infested, but my background is technology. I've worked for companies like Microsoft, uh, Dell Computer, uh, Verizon Telecommunications. So it was a new ordeal uh, for me and my ex-girlfriend, Tina. And um, I think this is why it's, it's partly why it's such an interesting case, because you came into this completely new to the world of the paranormal. It's not as if you were you were really, it was something that you were particularly engaged with. And so the phenomena that you were experiencing was totally out of the world that you were normally very comfortable in. And in in that sense, we've got really interesting documentation from the perspective of somebody who hadn't really come across any of this before, didn't know what it meant, didn't know what some of the things that you're experiencing were, you know, other hallmarks of. And so it is almost a study and a documentation step by step of your experiences from that perspective of this is what I was going through. This is what my girlfriend and I were going through at the time. And we don't have, you know, much in terms of recordings like that where you get to see something unfold and the experiences that you had. So it's a really interesting case study, I think, for for that alone. Um, yeah, Michelle. So uh, you're right. Uh, me and my girlfriend at the time, we had no uh, knowledge, interest, curiosity, or passions about the paranormal. The only thing I knew about the paranormal was maybe a scary movie here and there during Halloween months or a ghost story every now and then. But uh, I guess being new to it and being sort of thrown in, if you will, might in itself explain why us, because I always ask the question, why me? And uh, the answer I get back in my head is, why not you? It seemed that we were ripe for the picking, talking from the Portuguese perspective, because we had activity on day one of, of trying to move into the home. Um, that's unusual in other Portuguese cases. Uh, and you're right. And the only thing I could fall back on is two things. My upbringing as a child, you know, as how my parents molded me. And then my career. I'm, I'm, I'm an IT professional. So one of the things I do day to day is 
documentation in the phenomena what we or myself was witnessing you know nobody nobody told me to document it just felt like that was the right thing to do you know it's like okay i can tell the story of my couch and furniture levitating but i sort of need to document the day and time of when it levitated what did levitate uh what noise did we hear and try to capture that with some of the you know electronic um equipment that you know we now have available as a society so i just fell back on my it technical background not knowing that i was sort of uh making things worse as we gradually uh start living in the house of the more attention you give it the more curiosity and it's like that old proverb when you stare into the abyss the abyss also stares back into you and as you're familiar with the story um that's our story in a nutshell, especially with, with me and the and the activity. So yeah, it was very. Um, uh, I want people to know we did not play with any Ouija boards. We were not paranormal enthusiasts. I I never heard of a paranormal TV show or new friends of that matter either. And when I first heard the term poltergeist years later, I, we just called everything a ghost, but we was calling it incorrectly. And years later, I learned, oh, this is the resemblance or of a poltergeist. And I'm like, well, I remember that vaguely in the 80s in a movie that came out. And from what I remember in that movie, because I never saw all of it, the house occupants in that movie were going through pure hell. And then I'm like, aha, yeah, that's what we're going through. Yeah, okay, oh, poltergeist. Okay, well, how do you get rid of it? And that's where the battle and the interesting things started taking place of how do you lessen or get rid of it. But we're a long way from that. So do you want to just take us back to the to the beginning of the, the, the account, really? I mean, for anybody who is unfamiliar or needs refreshing, take us through that kind of timeline of some of the key things that happened between 2012 when you moved in to when you moved out in 2016 and maybe some of the history of the site that you know of um, that you think might be quite relevant. Um, yeah, and like I say, this story, sort of like the other Portuguese stories, uh, sounds a little bit cliche, but it's true. We moved into this home, me and my girlfriend, May 1st of 2012. Uh, we had found the house on Craigslist, I think, two months, two and a half months before. And it's a single-dwelling home. It's a two-story home in the suburbs of Seattle, Washington. Uh, it's in a neighborhood. Uh, the neighborhood and the home was built in 2005. Uh, so it had been lived in about with about five families before us. And, um, yeah, we, we, we went. It was a nice spring day, beautiful day, when we went to go get the keys to the home. We're renters, as a matter of fact. We're not buying. We're renters. And we went to sign the leasing papers and uh, shook hands with the homeowner. He gave us a ball of wine, said, congratulations, welcome to your new home. We're excited. Well, we have no kids, no pets. And as soon as he left, me and just me and Tina there, where we're just talking. We're sitting down in the living room. This is the room closest to the front door. And we're just talking, being married, talking about what we're going to do with the house and how excited we are, da 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 And in the middle of our, cough, of our, of our talking, we heard a kid cough. And I say kid cough uh, versus a regular adult cough because when we, while we were talking, 
we both looked at each other as soon as we heard it and we asked each other the same question was, was that a kid call? And it sounded like it came from upstairs and we like looked around. We didn't get up or go walking around looking for whatever the noise was, but it was very interesting. It was very loud. And the windows are closed. Once again, we have no children. We have no kids, uh, no pets. And after five minutes of talking about, okay, that's weird. It had, that had to have come from outside. But once again, having no familiarity with the paranormal and just being who we were, we just shrugged it off like any normal human being would. Maybe we heard that wrong, whatever. Okay, we, we, we love this house. Fast forward to now we're living in the house. This is two weeks later or, or, or a month later. We started to notice items missing, like my extra set of car keys. These are my spare set or car fob that I never used, but I kept in a glove box in my upstairs office closet. And I noticed it was missing. And I remember distinctively carrying it over from my old residence. And Tina never knew these existed because she never saw them. And at the same time, Tina started noticing her jewelry things that she wears uh, are missing. And she's asking me, hey, Keith, have you seen my jewelry? Have you seen my necklace, my bracelet? Or one earring is missing. And I'm like, no. Uh, and, I don't, and I don't keep tabs on her jewelry collection either. But the thing we both uh, asked each other questions on specifically was the silverware, you know, the kitchen utensils. And that started coming up missing because you know, you go into your kitchen, you, you prepare supper, you eat, you grab a fork or knife. And I found myself within weeks or months of living in the home, always searching for one. I'm like, okay, why am I always having to search for a knife or fork? There's only two people here. And it seems like the drawer that we keep the, the knives and forks and spoons and all that seems to be depleting. So I asked him, hey, can I have you see? And she's like, no, I was about to ask you the same thing. And we're like, okay, so that's weird. Uh, but nobody's talking ghosts. And then the thing that really got peculiar was waking up in the morning and discovering as we come downstairs to make coffee and go to work, kid toys. Now, these kid toys that we're finding are on the staircase in our direct path, easily visible. They're on the kitchen counter, kitchen table, and... Once again, we have no kids. These are out in the open. These are not things we're finding behind large appliances that makes you think, oh, this is left over from the neighbor or from the previous tenants. So that was interesting. And then coming downstairs similar mornings and seeing all our kitchen cabinet doors wide open. I mean, just all of them wide open. Nothing in the cabinets of the cupboards are re rearranged they're neatly like we left them, but every door is open. And that made me proactively install a home security monitoring system because I had told Tina, as she told me, are we being pranked? Is this a, a bad joke? Is this is somebody coming into the home uh, while we're sleeping and doing all this stuff, leaving kid toys and open up? Who does that? I mean, that's, that's kind of... That's kind of home invasion, home intrusion, probably the worst prank ever. But how do they do it, a avoiding detection from us? So the only way to solve that problem was to install a home security system, which I did. Once again, not even close to talking about ghosts or anything, because that seemed like the logical next step. 
Well, that did not lessen items missing. That did not lessen items being found that neither of us owned. That did not lessen waking up and finding kitchen cabinet door open. Which then I'm like, okay, I I don't know what to do. The night one night we were watching television, me and Tina, and Tina has this four foot tall plant by the television entertainment center. While we're watching television, the plant darts up into the air and does a spin, 360 degree spin, and falls to the ground in our direction, in front of us. You couldn't miss it. And we both saw it at the same time, and I'm glad we did, because I looked at Tina, she looked at me, and we like, did that just happen? A plant moved on its own. Not only that, it rose up in the air on its own and fell over in our direction. So then we we not running out of the house like someone instinctively think. That might, have, that might have been the smart thing to do. We walked toward the plant and started looking for a remote control device. Once again, not thinking ghost or paranormal because we're new at this. Uh, we thought we were being pranked. We thought, okay, this is where somebody's going to come out of a closet and somebody's going to say, ha-ha, we, we had a joke on you, and Tina, welcome up to the house. Here's a trip to Hawaii for being good sports about it. No. The plant was just a plant. Then I looked at Tina, she looked at me, and I said, I think we have a ghost. And how do we determine that? So we went to my office and looked on the internet and just asked the question, how can you tell if your house is haunted? It seemed like a logical next step. And the websites that we were finding, paranormal websites, now I'm getting education, said, these are the five to 10 things you can do to tell if your house is haunted. And we already had experienced five or six or seven of them. Missing objects, objects appearing out of nowhere, phantom footsteps, waking up and finding your kitchen cabinet doors open. Uh, a few websites even had a kid cough, kid cough. But we're like, I think we had a child go. So fast forward, you know, the, the high level things this case is known for uh, through the four years of our ordeal, and we could talk about specifically, you could ask me, started on May 1st of 2012. And from there on, you would have the missing of objects, uh, which I would I call teleportation or asporting or importing of objects. Me witnessing shadowy figures. I draw some and put them online of what I saw with my naked eyes to walk by my office door uh, multiple times. Burning Bibles, uh, one Bible we saw on fire, one Bible caught fire, woke us up after being missing or gone missing for a year and a half, a Bible. Two other Bibles were found severely scorched or burned uh, beyond recognition. Once again, photos and whatnot, video online. The apparition, the female apparition that I refer to as the gray lady. Why? Because she was gray when I saw her in summer of 2012. And then I refer to her as the white lady. Uh, apparition. Uh, I just call it ghost, but I, I'm later learned the terminology is apparition. I saw her in the summer, fall of 2014. But now she's all white. Now, both gray lady and white lady are not translucent. They're not see-through. Uh, they were what you would call full-bodied, like you and me, except they're all gray or one color. If they're not gray, she was white. The first time she interacted with me, she turned off my office light while I was in the room. She turned it off manually and took off running. 
I saw that with my naked eye. This is summer 2012. Uh, the other things are, of course, the objects being thrown, small, medium, large, and the wall writings, numerous, numerous wall writings in my office uh, of upside-down crosses, of 666, of other symbols we still today don't know what it means, of the KL. My name is Keith Linder, and there were times where the Portuguese wrote in my office very um, specifically the words die in my initials, KL. It wrote that in my office several times. It wrote that in my car several times. Uh, and it wrote it on the house lawn several times. And the pictures that you see in my office of the wall writings, um, some were written with sage ash. Some were written in a black chalk-like substance. We still don't know what it is today. Others were uh, written with a black oily, like acrylic-like substance that we later determined resembled uh, bone black. Uh, we can talk about that, which is uh, incinerated buffalo or bison bone. And the symbol that pretty much got everybody scratching their head uh, is the upside-down man symbol, Native American symbols. And then, of course, last but not least, uh, in addition to that, were the spontaneous fires. I'm not talking about the Bibles anymore. I'm talking about other objects in the home that just spontaneously caught fire, including the clothes that I'm wearing while I'm wearing them. So, yeah. I mean, it's it's such a detailed, comprehensive list of things that, you know, you write about. And one of the things that I really would like to kind of put across, because I think Something that you have done in in your book, you know, Nightside of Physics, is really hammer home some of the things that I personally think when it comes to paranormal investigating in general and research, whether it's into poltergeist cases or into just regular type hauntings, other paranormal experiences and encounters phenomena, is that we've almost got to this point where we research, we investigate. And we keep repeating the same style and type of questions, investigations, experimentation. We keep replicating and rehashing the same theories. But what we're doing not so much of is actually adding to those, those hypotheses that are already there. And so what we have is, is very few challenges to, to concepts, very few um, extensions or further thoughts being added to the discussion that's been there and you know you ask yourself in in that book if we think about poltergeist cases just in just alone what can we add to that discussion that we didn't know 40 years ago 50 years ago kind of thing and that is so true and it's so it's something so missing because when we think about these cases when we add a new case, when we add a new experience, we're adding something new in terms of what might be ex what might be um, experienced by those involved, some of the phenomena that's unique or that fits a certain type of hallmark, hallmark pattern. And I think there is a real problem whereby certain things get put out put out there and marginalised and categorised as well, this type of experience is, is only recognised when you see these things. And that's so 
misrepresenting what some of the experiences and the phenomena are. And, you know, in, you know, just thinking about your case, when we think about some of those things that are categorized as poltergeist, where you don't have a, a young teenage girl, <laughs> um, you, you know, there, there isn't anything particularly troublesome happening, anything traumatic or anything stressful. Yeah. You don't have phenomena that's being experienced over a very short period of time that then ends. You know, this is something that you, that was sustained over a, a, a much longer period of time. And, and although you had gaps where the phenomena ceased, it did start up again. That's unique. And then there are other aspects that you don't necessarily see in every single example. And I think we need to start challenging what we think we know and starting to widen the questions and the investigations and the research we're doing to try and answer some of the things that we don't know, you know? <laughs> and like I said, I think you 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 tackle that so wonderfully in the book because I think when we start pigeoning pigeonholing experiences, we're doing a real disservice to the types of phenomena and experiences that people are, are having. Yeah, and I, I'm glad you brought that up because um, one of the silver linings, if there is to be one from this case in me and Tina's ordeal is, and this is a strength, not a weakness, is me and Tina were not, myself specifically, were not beholding to any existing theories surrounding poltergeist activity, okay? As well as other people who've experienced poltergeist activity. Most people who experience poltergeist activity have front row seats to the phenomena. It's people who come in who give it their own interpretation, in my opinion, which is most of the time incorrect, and make the house occupant dumb down or walk back some of their claims. And I, for one, Put all my claims out there and will not walk back any of them and the paranormal community as a whole as a whole cherry picks the phenomena that they want to match their existing theory once again let's talk about the the adolescent teenager well our case runs smack head into that right we don't have any adolescents let alone teenagers in the home uh, there's this other one of, well, the, there's the focal person. The activity surrounds one person and not the other, or the female. If we're not talking about adolescent teenager, then we're talking about female. Well, I can show you in the Bothell Hill House, the book one, where the activity sometimes mainly focused around both of us, sometimes around Tina, and sometimes around me. But there's a caveat or an asterisk behind all that, and that being, there were times when we had activity in the home, talking about the Bothell house, when neither one of us are home, you know? When I'm getting email alerts, motion detected, sound detected, and I'm 20 miles away from my house, I'm at work downtown Seattle, and I log in to my home, because I can remote in via camera, and I can see the aftermath of the activity, then the paranormal community needs to reevaluate existing theories because whoa wait a minute Keith and Tina are not even in the home and the house is active I can I know there are cases like that exist but they're very far field between I can even take it a step further and say where I had been traveling and had activity follow me 500 800 miles thousand miles 3,000 miles take the pick 
and I'd been attacked in my hotel room. While at the same time, same time, Tina's being attacked while still being in the whole while I'm gone. So the paranormal community as a whole needs to come to terms with that. Like, whoa, whoa, wait a minute. You got two activities, both poltergeist in nature, happening in multiple time zones here. And then he's got also claims of his friends, my friends, being attacked in their homes after trekking through the Baffle House. So we got three, four, possibly five locations now that are documenting Portuguese activity. And I try to bring that to everybody's attention because it needs to be talked about in the current theory, reevaluated, remeasured. And, and yeah, it has not been, you know, it's, it's some sort of semi fallen on deaf ears because, you know, these old theories, like I said, are pretty much copy paste, copy paste. Everybody's quoting one another. Everybody's looking at old data data that was born out in the 30s, 40s, and 50s. We've learned so much. I'm talking from a technology standpoint. We've learned so much since then. Houses today are different than the houses in the 1800s, 1700s, 1500s, 1900s. Look at all the things we have in our home now. Look at all the smart devices, the electricity, the internet, the Wi-Fi, the Bluetooth, the, you know, the smart refrigerator, the smart toaster, the smartphone, the smart dishwasher, the smart microwave, Alexa, Siri, all these things that to a poltergeist is just toys. That they, I mean, if I'm the poltergeist, I'm excited now about the toys homes have at their disposal now. And that's what makes my case a little bit interesting because I was trying to use today's technology to capture the phenomena. And as you read, I don't know if you've seen the documentary, the entity, I'll call it entities, found some of the electronic gadgets very interesting. You know, as if this, as if to suggest it was their first time seeing it too. You know, there's a there's the video by Steve Mirror in his documentary, Emmett Don Phillips documentary. That's so free on YouTube. Totally free. If I can watch this hour, 30 minutes long, where they're setting up motion cameras and voice detection devices in the hallway. Unbeknownst to them, at the review later, they review later their footage, as they're trying to set up monitoring equipment to capture phenomena, like most paranormal teams do, they're being monitored. <laughs> and the voices are monitoring them saying, you know, and I'm paraphrasing, but people can listen for themselves. They're like, it's a camera. It's a camera. What are they doing? Look at that. What are that? Look at that cord. It was plugged in. Hey, take that. There's a voice saying, take that, you know? And that's clear as day to the person who hears them and the, 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 the enunciation, the EVP, as a, I think it's called, class A, class B, is a, a conversation between two unknown voices. You can easily distinguish Steve and Don's voice, but there's two unaccounted for unknown voices talking underneath them about the equipment that both men are setting up. And that's just profound, in my opinion, you know, whatever it's worth. In my opinion, that should leap the paranormal research. I mean, by leaps and bounds, just that EVP alone. Because it suggests so much that we've I've always hear paranormal teams say when they come into our house is, you know, um, battery malfunction. Why is there a battery drainage? 
um, happening. You know, why does the energy get sucked out of a, a device that's pertinent to the investigation? You know, why is there equipment malfunction? It was working fine before it came here, and now it's not working. Well, that transcends all continents. I've seen that story told on every continent on the planet about from paranormal teams throughout the ages about the equipment malfunction, the battery drainage. And now you have a voice saying something similar to, hey, take that. Yeah, okay. It's only power like that because it's plugged into the wall. That, 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 you have the voice that match the phenomena that's been recorded by paranormal teams for quite some time. So, so you're right. That's the whole book, the third book was about was Portuguese Night Side of Physics was to have that conversation. And, 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 and I hope the paranormal community does have that conversation because there's a lot of there there. There is a lot there, but that's because, you know, there were so many different types of, of experiences and each one of them are very unique and really quite profound. And in some cases, they are phenomena that you see in a very small number of poltergeist cases. In others, you see them across poltergeist cases. I mean, again, it just highlights that no one thing is kind of representative of everything. And, and again, I think that speaks to, we need to stop categorizing something as, well, you see this, 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 and this. Yeah. And it's because of this, because it's totally dumbing down the subject matter, I think. And it's totally putting a ceiling on the types of conversations. And if we're really being very honest, if poltergeist hauntings were simply the product of a, you know, a hormonal teenager in a household or something traumatic, I think everything, every single house on the planet would have poltergeist activity. We don't. And so therefore it defies logic. It doesn't make sense as that's the only rational explanation as to why. Like you said, it's because someone's gone in, they've seen they've seen something and they've interpreted it one way and it's therefore stuck. And then what's really sad is when other cases come in that defy that, it gets pushed to the background or it gets dismissed or it gets reported as doesn't fit the mold. And instead, what we're not doing is saying, okay, here are other examples. Should we be redefining what we think is happening in these types of cases? Should we be adding... And, you know, that to me is what research is about. You know, we don't ever stop learning by simply saying, well, we've, we've, we've got everything we need to know here. Let's now stop. We have more cases, so therefore we should be looking at that and adding that to the, to the bulk, to the database of what we have already. You're right. New data is new data for the simple reason it can disprove or support existing theories. And the new data supports existing theories that, hey, all right, everybody clap your hand, that's good. That's another feather in the cap for that theory. If the data doesn't support the existing theory, then we should all be clapping again because we can now put that theory aside and start all over. You know, like, whoa, okay, this, all right, we got new data. It takes away from the existing theory. Okay, now we're back where we started from. And that's typically how science works you know we always talk about one of the greatest minds of all time albert einstein you know the theory of relativity the special theory of relativity you know he he he, he came arms folded to quantum mechanics he didn't really understand it or like it and you know he reluctant to it but at the end at the end he finally acquiesced 
you know, he finally said, hey, you know what? Okay, all right, yeah. Maybe God does play dice and, and hides it. Okay. And that's what the paranormal should be doing with new data coming in, like the Basel House. And there's other cases. I found them and I put them in my, in my third book. Uh, you know, but these are not the famous cases. Uh, one of the things that upset Tina a lot, and me, but specifically Tina, was when paranormal researchers come to the house. They, they come to the Basel House. They got their gadgets, the clipboard, all that. And they just all want to hover around her. <laughs> you know, everybody, everybody wants to hover around Tina. And, you know, the office upstairs, the office where primarily majority of that activity happened. Poster caught fire, computer marks caught fire, all that stuff. You know, go up there and knock yourselves out. Spend a night if you want to. Bring a sleeping bag. The house is yours. But everybody wants to hover around Tina and poke at her and ask her questions. If it took me a while to, and I didn't know why, I'm like, what's this fat over fascination with, with Tina? And I found that when I started understanding Portuguese and this whole teenager, female, adolescent teenager, you know Tina's not a teenager, but the second bullet point to that is the female. They're always like, well, the female and, you know, all this and this and that. And, and we're like, okay, you got all this activity on the other wing of the house, and you're not focusing on that. We've just told you we've had activity when we're not home or present. And then, yeah, and then from maybe November 2014 till now, present day, the activity is now hover and focus around me. Tina moved out of the Bothell House 2015. I moved out May of 2016. I still occasionally, occasionally, as recent as last night and this morning, experience phenomena. And there's that. Then let's rewind back a little bit and let's talk about the previous tenants in the home, Rhonda and her family, who lived in their home in 2008, 2009. Rhonda had three kids and they had similar activity as well. And when I called Rhonda the summer of 2014, I called, I mean, chatted on Facebook. Her son, now, uh, he was a, he was a a very young child in the Buffalo House, uh, now several years removed. They lived in Yakima, Washington, which is about 500 miles plus or minus East Washington. And um, she told me, without me even mentioning it, because I had not confided it to her what we were all experiencing, because I didn't want to dilute what she was telling me or influence it. Her son, she said, and I quote, saw shadowy figures in the house where we lived in, Upstairs, his his room was my office. Might explain the kid call because he was very sick at the time. He developed meningitis. But she also said he still sees shadowy figures to this day. And this is 2012. This is four years after moving out the house. Uh, now she doesn't volunteer that information. Like I don't volunteer that information. If I met you tomorrow or today, you know, I'm gonna, I'm gonna say, hey, Michelle, I still see shadowy figures. You know. If you ask me, hey, can you been out of that Bothell house since 2016, right? Yeah. Anything going on? Hey, yeah, Michelle, yeah, you know, occasionally, occasionally I still see shadowy fingers. Like, you do? Like, yeah, never subsided. You know, and look at me, it's 2023, I moved out 2016. So these are the data I'm talking about that should be, you know, either disproving a current theory and help creating a new theory or supporting theories that I believe have been ignored. And my theory that I believe has been ignored is 
I believe poltergeist or what I call, for lack of a better term, third party, meaning they are an independent, sentient entity. And there's more than one. You know, there's more than one. They work in unison. There's a cohesion, there's a unison, uh, if you will, a tandem uh, with each other. We could talk about being in two places at the same time, which will explain, you know, me being attacked over here, Tina being attacked while still in the home, or we can talk about two places at one time, me still seeing shadowy figures, and some of my friends today seeing shadowy figures after they leave my presence, go back to their own respective homes, or Rhonda's son, who was still seeing shadowy figures, uh, when I contacted and reached out to Rhonda. So those are the conversations I think we should all be having. Because when we start having them, and I know, this, I know the proof of concept is true, because I get emails all the time from people all over the world who say, yeah, man, that happened to me, but I don't tell anybody because, you know, they think I'm crazy or they think it's me or they, they want to focus on me. And yeah, you know, I had that happen to me too, or my friend, or my friend, or friend, or friend has had that and I wish you know it would be talked more from a high level in the existing paranormal organization community like I said because I think it helps well I think I think there is this uh, propensity to try and categorize it as one simple thing and have it in a neat box and I just don't think a lot of what we experience and we see actually works like that and you know yeah. my my own experience of of 30 east drive which is a well-known poltergeist case is 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 one that really again defies a lot of the the common thoughts of what a poltergeist haunting looks like and and echoes what you just said of there's something else i i, I genuinely think it's a location that has hauntings that you might expect in typical kind of yes. ghost haunting experiences and then there is this something else that is very intellectual that is mischievous that is quite detailed in what it's doing in order to try and get your attention and and like you mentioned is not is not specific to that location there are hundreds and hundreds of examples where people who have been there have experienced things then in their own home where things have been moved and taken to their home um <laughs> You know, seeing things moved in East Drive and then it's somehow ending up in their own home. And you, you can't dismiss things like that. We cannot dismiss things like that. And my personal perspective is, is that is one thing attracting the other? Possibly. You know, I, I firmly believe that a lot of the paranormal experiences are, are based on energy. You know, you mentioned electricity, the devices we have being something that kind of entities can draw from. I firmly believe that. Yeah. And so it makes sense that, again, spiritual energy can also attract other types of energy. And that's why you can experience different levels and layers of paranormal phenomena. And it's about breaking those down and really examining them as unique experiences, which I think, again, we don't do enough of. Yeah, one thing I can tell you about the Basel House, going back to the, uh, you know, maybe some of the root cause of the activity, is what we found out through research, and it took some time, to, to learn this, and uh, we're still learning this, is, uh, you know, Steve Mara, Don Phillips, they, they, they believe some of the phenomena, if not all, uh, is related to the, they call it landlocked phenomena. And 
how we were able to determine that or give rise to that were two things was the wall writings in my office gave a hint because some of the wall writing was Native American related. And yeah, that's a, that seems cliche to some, I'll blame it on the Native Americans, but we didn't ask it to draw Native Americans. It, it did on its own. And I was always curious as to why uh, an upside down man, you know, what, what does that mean? The symbol it drew. And upon research, and this is not Keith's research, this is online, the symbol means a man has died or is about to die. Specifically, Native Americans draw the upside down man only to reference if a man has died of disease, mainly smallpox, okay? And I was able to research, spend many hours in the microfilm room of the county, uh, Washington, and discovered that uh, there was a major outbreak of smallpox throughout what we call the Pacific Northwest, uh, which is mainly Washington and Oregon and Northern California. And to bring the point even more closer to home was, yes, there was a smallpox outbreak that included the city of Botham to where a lot of Native Americans lost their lives in the mid-1800s due to smallpox outbreak. The vaccine was purposely, purposely uh, given to them last versus given to the settlers, okay? And a lot of the Native Americans who perished, uh, this was a cold, harsh winter, were just buried in mass graves. Now, nobody knows what those mass graves are except to say, city of Bothell. Now, of course, Bothell, Washington in the 1800s was significantly smaller than it was today. And when paranormal teams start pulling up to our driveway, you know, they got their paranormal title or name of their paranormal group on their shirt or back, van, when TV shows start coming up to the home, when the news start coming up at home, neighbors start coming out of their homes and they start admitting, hey, Hey, Tina, we see these ghost fans pulling up to your home and uh, two homes specifically to the left of the Bothell House or to the right of the Bothell House admitted to us, volunteers, so we didn't ask them, they just admitted after seeing, you know, they came out of their comfort zone when they saw the, the vans pull up, but like, yeah, we sometimes have weird stuff happening in our home too. And like, oh, like weird stuff like that. Well, our, 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 our pets or dogs and cats they don't go into certain rooms of the house. They purposely avoid going to the rooms uh, that are close to your house. We, we do, we do, we've always, me, me and my wife, or husband and wife, husband and wife, had a conversation about why our pets don't go to these rooms. And we never knew why. You know, it's not something you would know why automatically, but now saying that your house, Keith, what's going on here? And I would tell them. And they're like, oh, okay, that's interesting. Okay. Fast forward to when, um, I moved out of the Bothell home. I still have a friend in the neighborhood who occasionally reaches out to me. He lives about a block over from the Bothell home. And he pings me on Facebook one day and said, hey, man, I'm, I'm leaving work because uh, my motion detection devices are going off at, at home. Comcast has sent me an email saying motion detected. The burglar alarm is going, I got to go home and attend to it. So he, he gets home. And then he said, well, I got home. The, since uh, I was slow in responding, the... The police were there when I got there, and they wanted to make sure everything was all right, because uh, if you don't respond quick enough, it goes to the local p police department about a burglary, so they, they respond. That's how the account set up. So he sees a police officer, and he's like, hey, 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 I'm sorry, yeah, my, my, my alarm went off, and the, and the police officer asked him, hey, you okay, everything, everything good? 
it was broad daylight, about 2 p.m. birthday. He's like, yeah, that's okay. And then uh, they said, there must have been a false alarm. And then the police officer volunteered and said, you know what? We get a lot, I'm paraphrasing, but I'm quoting. We only get these type of false alarms, talking about the home security system, what we respond to from this neighborhood. This is the only neighborhood in the whole city of Bothell where we get these false positives, false alarms. And my, my, my friend knowing his home and knowing my home a few houses away, like, oh, really? Yeah, what do you mean? Oh, yeah, all the time. We respond to these calls and then we get to the home and there's nothing. But, you know, there's no burglary, obviously. But only in this neighborhood. In, in that neighborhood, the Boston neighborhood where I live and where my friend lives, it's about, uh, give or take, maybe I would say 300 to 400, maybe 600 houses in the immediate area, all built within 2005 time frame. So they're going to be set up similarly electronically as far as the home security monitor system. And, but that's, man, that's not even 1% of the neighborhoods of Bothell. Okay. Bothell, you know, Google and see the population of Bothell, you would know that's not even close. But for him to go out of his way and talk about the police officers to say this neighborhood has all these fake alarms going off and we respond to them and there's nothing. And then I remembered in my home the same thing, and then uh, my friend. So yeah, it can be something related to the land. And some of, as Steve Merrill said it great in his documentary when he said, there's always going to be low-level activity in Keith Linder's home, whether he lives in it or not. Neighbors or house occupants might not just notice it. I mean, how many times have we, many you, me, and others, have lost something or misplaced something, and then we find it over here, and we're like, how did I get over here? And then we just shrug it off. How many times we leave and come back when the light was on, when we left and come back, it's off. We don't think ghosts. Like me and Tina, we don't, we don't think ghosts early on. And if it just stays at that level, you just shrug it off. You know, it's one of the, I forgot who wrote the book called Just One of Those Things. Uh, the mind just shrugs it off and, and, and there's, no, there's no repercussions. Because maybe that's a, a safety mechanism where you go a step beyond that safety mechanism like I did, probably, was investigate. Like, why are my lights always off when I come back in the room? And as you know, what did I do? I went to bar cameras into the room. I started setting up tripods and motion detection and cameras to watch the cameras. And they tried to tell me to stop and uh, desist, desist and, you know, with the cameras, and they would unplug one, and I would plug it back in. And then they would take the SD card, and I would go buy another SD card, and then they would turn the camera and face it toward the wall, which Stephen Mayer and Stephen Dong witnessed themselves when they lived in the home with their camera. Something was there purposely trying to say, hey, stop, don't do it anymore. You know, this is a warning. You get two. After the third one, we got to think, we got to think, take it up a notch. And if you watch my videos, I'll talk about all my videos on the YouTube channel, go from the very beginning to now. It's a video diary of what I just described. A new couple in the home. Oh, look at the house. It's so pristine. It's so new. Look at it. And then you see this camera in the hallway trying to capture the lights going off and on. And then weeks and months later, you see another camera in the hallway, another camera in the bedroom. Aha! I'm just being thrown. Loud banging. Then you start seeing dents in the wall. Aha! Wall writings. Uh -oh, wall writings over here. Then you see burn marks, aha, fire. So you start seeing the gradual, from a video diary point of view, of how the activity escalated over a four year period 
to the point of even mushrooming outside of the house. So yeah. I think that kind of, again, brings something interesting into the mix because for most people who've experienced similar type things, that low level stuff to begin with, and if it then just ratchets, ratchets goes up a notch, <laughs> I can't say the other word, my teeth keep getting stuck. Um, if it goes up to that next level, that's when they typically start to leave. And you didn't, you, you stuck it out. And, yeah. and, and therefore you've got, again, this interesting um, thing playing out that you were documenting. And you're, I think you're in, a, in one of those positions and it's the, again, part of the frustrating thing that I experience and think about when it comes to the paranormal is that you're damned if you do and you're damned if you don't because if we don't have video footage or audio footage or a photograph of something, well, it's anecdotal and there's no proof. If you have proof, it's, well, that's too good to be true. There has to be something, you know, that's yep. been fixed about it. You can't win yeah, it away. You know, and it's it's frustrating because you know that wouldn't happen in in other in any other area of science. But in your case, what you have got is very, very, very clear documented proof, and not only proof from you, but experiences from third party professionals, reports by different people working in the police force, in the fire service, so many other you know different agencies kind of affirming what you yourself were experiencing, whether it was the spontaneous fire, having no explanation of, of how that occurred. And, and, and again, that's a very interesting case study, I think, of the type of phenomena that you are experiencing, seeing that escalation and that playing out with, with all of these different aspects to it being brought in by other professionals. Before we head back to the podcast, if you haven't already visited the Haunted History Chronicles Patreon page, now is the perfect time to join, to listen and enjoy a multitude of additional podcasts, merchandise, mail and other written materials. It's a great way to support the podcast to continue to grow and put out additional content, to share guests and their stories, as well as helping the podcast to continue to be enjoyed. You can find the link in the episode description notes, as well as on the Haunted History Chronicles website. And remember, you can always help support guests in the podcast by coming and liking the social media pages and chatting over there. It's truly all very much appreciated. And now, let's head back to the podcast. Yeah, you're right. I tell people, it was not my intention, but this is how it it ended up. If me and Tina hadn't left, let's just say hypothetically, if me and Tina hadn't left the Buffalo House, either because of the kid cough or the plant levitating, that would have been end of story. Let's say we just left, oh, we're out of here. You know, that's it. Look how much we leave behind as far as what we're talking about now. None of this other stuff would have never been known, including Rhonda and her experience, you know, the previous tenant's experience. So me staying, me documenting, uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it wasn't easy. It was rough, and I don't suggest anybody volunteer to do it, but at least you have the documentation left over. You're right. I can't call it to cahoots with me, the Stohomish Fire Department, who respond and have to put out a fire in my office. They have to document their report. That's a legal document, okay? And the conclusion they reached is, 
unknown fire. I didn't tell them to do that. There's no money going under the table. You know, there's no brownies. I'm not baking up cookies to write that on their report. That's an official state report. They have to take that back to their home office and classify it. Like, we don't really know. House is fine. Lucky he survived. Minimum damage done. But we don't know what caused the fire. Skeptics ignore that. I can't, meaning in 2008, 2009, when Rhonda lived there, there were four, four 911 calls to the Bothell home. Four that were documented due to her suicide attempts that she told me in chat, but she could have been just lying to me. But I went and researched because in, in Washington, you're allowed, you can go, if you're the home occupant, you can pull the 911 records from your own home if a resident can. And I did, not to see if she was telling me the truth. I knew she was. I just wanted a paper trail. And when I got the paper trail, many of the documents they sent me, these are po- reports that the police wrote when they responded to the 911 call. They have to, once again, follow up the official report and tuck it away in their database. And when I read it, I'm reading what the police officer saw when he arrived on the city. If you, if you have my second book, I put that in the book for others to read as well, and a link as well to the report. And in the paragraph of the report, the police officer says he he responded to the 911 call and arrived to the home and heard a woman screaming from inside the house. What he wrote in quotes was, she's screaming, leave me alone. Why can't you all just leave me alone? This is in 2008-2009. Okay, he's hearing that. So nobody's answering the front door, but he can hear screams. He walks to the back of the house. Maybe somebody's in distress. Maybe there's a crime in progress. And when, upon going there, sees the sliding door stuff with a bed mattress. That's kind of weird. Who stuffs the, a, a glass door with a mattress? Well, you do if there's no glass no longer there. And he walks in. He removes the glass and walks in. And upon walking in, it's met with Rhonda coming from the garage. And she's holding a screwdriver. And she's just dug the screwdriver into her veins and her arm. And she's screaming, why can't they just leave me alone? And he tases her to apprehend her. Obviously, she drops the screwdriver and they take her away. And then he wrote on his report, one of the last things he wrote on there is, there's nobody else in the home, okay? Obviously, there's nobody else in the home. And this is what Rhonda was screaming. Now, he doesn't know why Rhonda is screaming. He just thinks she's deranged or, or, or something, but that's not his problem to solve. He was just there to solve a 911 call. The paramedics arrived. They'll solve that problem of what's wrong with Rhonda. And his report was, there's no one in the home. So I asked you and I asked your listeners and people who read my book, and I asked skeptics. This is 2009. Four years for me and Tina were even a couple. We're not even, we're not even a couple yet, you know. I don't even know Tina yet. Tina doesn't know me yet. We didn't meet until 2010. He writes in his report these things, and I ask anybody listening to this right now, who is Rhonda screaming to? Who is she talking to? Why don't y'all just leave me alone? There's no, she's not on the phone. That, that, that was shown up on the report. On the phone, phone call, da 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 You know, Rhonda told me who she was screaming to or at. Okay. It was the voices she was hearing in her head to kill herself. She's the voices in her head was telling her to kill herself. She didn't want to, you know. And uh, unfortunately, 
2016, September, I believe, she successfully killed herself. She walked in front of a moving train in broad daylight and let a train run her over and wouldn't get off the tracks when the train was honking or blowing whatever they do to, you know, get you off the tracks. But even when the train stopped, its momentum kept going and Rhonda's no longer with us. So people in the paranormal, I'm talking about skeptics or citizens to say all they want about Portuguese uh, or other cases, but they can't say that to about the Bothell House because what Rhonda went through and what the is documented in official state reports has nothing to do with Kitatina. Now you have Kitatina coming to that same house four years later, and you can sort of see, wow, you guys just walked into something totally horrible and were totally oblivious. Y'all were, you can say, y'all were doomed from the start. And and, and, and you'd be right. There, people would be right in saying that. We were doomed from the start. Because do you think I would have moved into a house when, I don't know, four years ago, a woman is in her garage screaming, leave me alone, and bloodied arms and a screwdriver to her arm? Do you think I would have moved into that house? No, I wouldn't. Heck no. So, but nobody never brings that up as far as the skeptic community. No, because again, I think it it's something that people try to rationalize away of, well, well, that's an example of someone who was obviously psychologically struggling, maybe having some kind of break, maybe suffering from some kind of depressive state. You know, we try and rationalize things away, but what you've got are experiences being echoed, repeated. And that doesn't happen in a vacuum. That's that's not yeah. something that you can you should so easily explain away. And and I think what is so often underestimated when we look at these types of phenomena is just how um, psychologically isolating they are. People can feel very very alone and misunderstood, not being heard. They can be dismissed by people if they go and seek help from various different organizations you know they can have doors closed in in their face and so they are very much experiencing it by themselves and the more that happens the more inward you start to become you know you become the very thing that i think they want you to be which is even more vulnerable to what it is that they are doing to you because yeah. you know they want that yeah it's not, it's not, a, it's not an accident or a coincidence Rhonda's situation or me and Tina's situation of Tina finally moving out. Because when Tina finally moved out, they've won one aspect of their torment, which is divide and conquer. You know, now it's just me and the home. And it got pretty dark with just me and the home. I mean, me and Tina can always rely on each other. There's always safety in numbers. I don't care how hopeless you feel. There's always safety in numbers, Okay. Tina's witnessed a lot of phenomena that I've witnessed because we're in the same room together, let alone the same house together. Now I have to worry about, okay, what happens if they push me down the stairs again? You know, Tina ran to my aid when I got pushed the first time. What happens the second time? What happens if they start a fire now with just me in the home? or throw an object my way. So all those things are running through my head because now it's just me. They've, they've already gotten Tina out, you know, and now they got me where they where they want me. Like, okay, we got, we got one now, we can do him. So yeah, there, there's, there's, there's that factor. 
that I, I constantly have to talk about something. It, it's true. I slept with one eye open probably for the remainder of the duration of while I lived in the home, especially uh, uh, waiting up until when Stephen Dawn arrived because I was just mainly going off fear of the unknown, uh, what, what, what's going to happen. I got to sleep. I got to work. Uh, I'm making eight hours of sleep, so I'll, I'll make do with four. And when you know, when you got running on four hours of sleep, you're going to make mistakes. You're going to be grouchy. And then if I be grouchy, and if I verbalize that grouch, and I leave me alone or curse at them, then they're going to take it up a notch. You know, they're going to, okay, we got him. We, we, we're working on him. He's getting grouchy. He's got four hours of sleep, three days in a row. You know, so, yeah. I mean, these are the things, the psychological aspect, I tell people, is 10 times worse than the physical phenomena that we witnessed. 10 times worse. You know, when we saw the first Bible on fire, there's all kind of psychological things running through your brain, our brain, once we realized that was a Bible. Like, man, what? what who burns a Bible? You know, what force feels that comfortable? And let alone two more times after that. And it's fire. I, 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 I never, I mean, fire in your home, going back to about that vulnerability of you're sleeping and you're waking in the middle of the night. Anybody can relate to that. Everybody's home today, I hope, has a smoke or fire detector. And you probably get a unanimous 100% vote if you ask, who would fear worse having a fire go off during the daytime while you're awake or have a fire go off while you're asleep. I think it'd be unanimous. None of us wants to deal with a fire while we're asleep, you know, and or the next will be taking a shower or a bath, which is the interesting the times they used to start a fire is when you're most vulnerable, when they can catch you off guard. And when they catch you off guard, you're going to overcompensate, overcorrect, you're going to make mistakes. And, uh, yeah, the psychological, the pushing down the stairs, I never forget when Stephen Dahl played back the EVP where the the voices admitted that they pushed me down the stairs. Very nonchalant, very nonchalant. No no sign of guilt or remorse or anything. If I was to ask you if you done something bad, but show you about it, yeah, kid, you know, yeah. You know, no, these are like, yeah, we pushed him down the stairs. Yeah, yeah, we did. They said we, yeah, we did. You know, it was almost like there was like, yeah, well, all right, we don't know about it. You can do it again, you know. And when I heard that, I was like, like I said, psych- psychological, psychological. They're trying to beat you down, beat you down. So I understood Rhonda when she told me about her 911 call because her husband was half a world away. It was just her and her three kids. One was very sick. They were up to their heads in medical bills because her son was very sick. He was near death. The medical family, the medical community, Seattle Children's Hospital, uh, were at their wits in on root cause of his meningitis. They didn't know what to do. It was a very familiar, unfamiliar case of meningitis, and they didn't know what to do. And then the husband has to take on a job to, to be an Alaska fisherman based on the pay. It pays a lot of money, but it's very dangerous. You're on the ocean all day, all night, in one of the roughest seas in the world, and he's sending money home, but he's not at home. He's left the wife to deal with the kids who are sick. And you got a spirit there, and that's just easy pickings. That's just easy pickings for a poultry guys. And they know that. And so, yeah, her becoming suicidal didn't surprise me. Didn't surprise me whatsoever. I think it becomes 
a hallmark of these types of experiences and and rather than rather rather than doing what i think tends to happen which is to say well it's because of something that was in that person to begin with that's caused this we need to flip that script and actually realize no it's becoming a product of what they're experiencing it's almost like psychological warfare in the sense that it's over time grinding that person down and and the more that happens i think the more in, in tune you then become you become to the types of experiences that are happening and the more in tune you become the more aware you become the more it then escalates the more it then happens and you know i think that's why then we also see in so many cases documented how it does seem to manifest around certain individuals and it's it's usually those that are really tuning in to what's happening and looking at what's happening and and seeing what's happening and they become that target then of more and more things happening and you know you mentioned earlier about how the energy of the land something about the land might might be causing what's happening i also think it's the right combination of people and and sometimes i do think it is the person who's aware of what's happening also then feeding what happens if that makes sense yeah so you yeah right one cannot do without the other yeah um, there's a very uh, important EVP in my, on my YouTube channel. A male voice volunteered and said, just out in the blue, I'm a mirror. And it was captured on three devices. These devices were running continuously all the time. And upon review, you could hear a male voice say, I'm a mirror. And I took heart to that. I mean, and, 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 the theory that I've concluded uh, is, you're right. And it's a yin-yang, uh, as far as, you know, we, we say in the United States, when we argue with somebody, uh, my grandmother would always say when I argue with my brother or sister, and I would always come to her, well, I'm innocent, I'm innocent. She's picked a fight with me. I didn't start anything. Why are you spanking me too? And she'd be like, well, it takes two to tango. <laughs> so, and, um, I think Portuguese, there's some truth there in the sense of Tina never saw the gray lady at the home. Tina never saw the white apparition. The kid call we heard on day one of signing the lease of papers. The Portuguese, whoever did that kid call, were already in the home when we walked in and within seconds of walking into the home, decided to give us our first paranormal encounter. Versus, versus, you know, wait, let's let them move in a little bit. Let's let them get settled in, get their clothes, the TV, the couch, the furniture. Let's, let's wait and let them get acclimated, guys, before we start doing the paranormal stuff. Okay, can we get a vote on that? No, 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 no. The kid cough was day one. Okay? So, and that's always haunted me, and it probably forever will. I was like, why day one? Why not day two? 35 or day 46 and i think you're right i think they saw in us i use this word potential to where they can execute phenomena to the to the degree that the case is known for today they knew tina's background they knew my background and they saw us to use my grandmother's phrase 
we're going to tango with you guys. Whether you know it or not, we're going to dance with you. And you are very soon going to dance with us. You just don't know it yet. And we were. I was. And I think if you look at other Portuguese cases, past and present, you could probably find um, similarities. Uh, where I differ with some paranormal groups is uh, when they try to make the house occupants or the party feel guilty. There's a stigma, even outside the paranormal community, a little bit of it's a stigma. Oh, well, you got Portuguese activity. Whoa, stay away from that guy. <laughs> Something's going on in his world. Don't want to be part of that. I get that today, so I, I know it. I, I know it's true. So my story hits some certain people's ears. They take two steps back. <laughs> it's like I went to Chernobyl or something. But um, and then you get that stigma. The paranormal teams going back to how they treated Tina. They they give you that stigma too. Or paranormal teams, you know, because one of the often repeated questions I get asked when interviewed talking about when I wasn't about the houses. Okay, what level of dysfunction we're looking, we're looking for a level of dysfunction in the home, some sort of these things like dysfunction. So we were in like, I'm like, but uh, well, we don't, we don't, I mean, quantified dysfunction. I mean, you can't say like, you know, there's no lack of money, there's no financial stress. Uh, I tell people, I got the Bothell house. I had just had a job promotion. I had just had a significant pay increase. Oh, well, maybe some sort of health crisis. Well, look for a health crisis. No, I'm in good health. Tina's in good health. You can look at us up and down. Clean bill of health. Even to this day, every fiscal I got inside and outside the Bothell house, I got, I passed with flying colors. You know, besides lack of sleep, my doctor said, Keith, physically, you're okay. You're, you're good. Your vitals are where they need to be for a guy your age. You're good, you know. Uh, I might come back on the French fries, but that's it. Um, so yeah, so those things were fine. Uh, you no, know, some other terminal. Like sometimes it might not just be terminal. Sometimes it just might be okay. Here's a tech guy, you know, coming in, and here's Tina coming in, and we think we can get some mileage out of both of them, you know. And they knew that better than us. Obviously, they were right. Um, in other cases, the same way. It's always like we try to look for the, the fault in, in individuals, other than they're just being human. Like I said, if if it was all about adolescent, stressful teenagers going through puberty and all that, there's what, 8 billion people on the planet. Uh, I don't know off the top of my head how many are, are adolescent teenagers going through puberty, but it's a significant amount. We would see more cases. Yeah, it would be on the news every night. It would be on the news every night. Uh, last year, I don't know if you remember this, and I think she's coming to your country sooner or later, when Taylor Swift announced that she was going to go on concert, the Ticketmaster and uh, crashed, the service crashed, and a lot of teenage adolescent girls in the United States, a lot, could not get Taylor Swift tickets. And they were going suicidal, they were driving their parents crazy. They were crying, writing their congressmen, congresswomen. They were posting on TikTok and Facebook. It was a revolt and uproar about not getting Taylor Swift tickets because they were sold out or the tickets cost too much. And I did not see a spike in Portuguese activity. No. <laughs> the see parents <laughs> calling the homes, hey man, I got flying furniture. 
that coincided with Taylor Swift announcing she's coming doing a tour. You know, I just see a spiking activity. I just see a spiking activity during COVID lockdown uh, in the United States or the world over when everybody, husband and wife, were working from home. And I've been on many Zoom calls and the husband and wife are home 24-7 together now. And the kids are too. Nobody's going anywhere. And I just see a spike of activity. So we, I think we can put that to bed, all right? Okay? Um, so yeah. Um, now let's look at these other reasons why this might be happening. You're right, is it the land? Is it the energy? But you're right, it's definitely that I'm a mirror, the male voice. Uh, that's an important, in my opinion, revelation of what it was trying to convey of, you know, I'm my own entity, I'm my own energy, but I'm like a chameleon. I'm like a lizard who changes its color to match his or her environment, okay? It's a survival evolutionary instinct uh, that we adopt. Every species has one. This is ours. You know, one of my often favorite quotes, and I think I included it in one of the books, because I'm a geek, so I can do that, is Empire Strikes Back when Luke Skywalker is talking to Yoda, and there's this dark cave on the planet, and because looking at this cave, and he can feel the energy coming from it. The energy from the cave is talking to him. He's getting goosebumps. He's just saying, Yoda, like, what's that cave about? And Yoda's like, hey, man, that, that cave is da 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 but you got to go through it. That's just part of your trial. So you got you to gotta walk in it. And then Luke looks at Yoda like, I ain't walking in that cave. And Yoda's like, yeah, you kind of do. And then, well, he puts on his gun belt, his blaster belt, and Yoda looks at him like, your weapons, you will not need them. Well, first he asked Yoda, well, what's in there? What's in the cave? And Yoda replies, only what you take with you. Only what you take with you. And he grabs his weapons. And Yoda tries to give him a warning, like a hint, like, hey, you're not going to need your weapons, dude. But what you'll find in there is only what you take with you. And I always remember that to the I'm a Mirror EVP that uh, we captured at the Bothell House. And I think something else that, you know, that that line about the mirror that you, you had come through that I also think is really interesting is that when you look at a lot of the experiences, it does, you know, there is this mirroring of, of trying to use things that we understand, whether it's religious iconography, like a Bible, like a cross, um, whether it is using symbols that we'll recognize, Native American symbols, or or things that are something that we will understand and have some connection with in, in some way. They get used, and again, it really does, I think, um, put a really big tick against. This is something very, very intellectual, using things that are very familiar to us to yeah. cause fear to use it to subvert it to cause fear and again to grab our attention because there's nothing more um noticeable than than something we recognize in that way being destroyed being used to write messages on the wall with um to change it in some way and turn it into something else and again so very intelligent but it is mirroring us but changing it in some way to 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 kind of do that psychological harm again to create fear because again it's what it wants 
Yeah, you bring up an interesting point that I, I never really gave much attention to, but it's very interesting. Uh, the 666 wall writers in Mantina's office, we never, we were like, oh, 666, oh, we've seen that in Hollywood. That never scared Mantina. I, said, oh, I mean, I was upset about it being written on my wall because I have to paint over it or I have to remove it. But I told Tina, and like I said, these things, they never made much or many mistakes in the house, the Portuguese. But that one, they sort of did. But I think they got that 666 from their group thing. Mm. Other Portuguese, if that makes sense. And there's uh, data in my case to support, there's a group thing going on. So I use the metaphor of the Borg, if you make the Borg in Star Trek, of the beehive. Everything goes back to the collective, where it be in North America, Europe, South America, Asia, Australia, whatever. All these activities go back to another hive of, of Portuguese. And they share this information. It's like, it's like a group thing. The 666, they did, I believe, because they wanted to conjure up fear and hopelessness for Mantina. Oh my God, 666, Lucifer's coming. Oh my God, it's king. Oh my God, the holy water. They want us to throw everything on the 666, see both eyes open, get in the fetal position and cry, pray, 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 pray. And we didn't do that. We, we did it. Now, other stuff we did, but not that. I was like, That didn't really, and we got, me and Timmy got so much hate email from the 666. So people were like, ah, you guys, that, you guys did that to yourselves. You put the 666 up there to get attention, to get a rise out of people. We're like, no, we didn't. Um, but they probably did that for you out there in the world, but, and us, but they didn't, me and Timmy didn't get scared by the 666. I think the Portuguese thought they could write that on there and hope that we would. But it might have had some of its data might have been a little bit outdated too. It might have been looking like, oh, Pizzatina don't respond negatively to the 666. Okay, that's interesting. Now the die KL I did, you know, I mean, that's me writing my name because I'm like, well, this thing go my name, you know. So that I did, but the 666, I think suggests they were pulling from the existing I don't know, mindset that we see that, you know, the Hollywood does with these cases and what uh, fraudsters and hoaxers do with these cases too, of just going for the juggler, meaning, oh, just write Lucifer paraphernalia on the wall and that'll really scare people, you know, all that stuff. But um, I think they miscalculate that portion, the Portuguese did, because we didn't get a rise out of that. All thing I did was get warm soap and water and try to rub it off. But other paranormal teams, or ghost hunters, I call them, they got a rise out of it. They're like, oh my God, 666. And they, and they start telling us some of their stupid theories that me and Tina just looked at each other and like, dude, come on, come on, man. No, 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 pull a, no pull a wall over our eyes, okay? Let's, let's walk it back a little bit. 666, da 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 It's obviously a cliche now. It, it rolls off me and Tina very easily, but You know, you guys are making a big hay out of it compared to us that we live here. So that was very interesting. And I think today, and I tell people, of all the wall writings, the 666 had the least, had zero impact as far as fear level, as far as, oh, Satan is here. No, that did not, we did not leap to the same conclusion uh, because 666 is written on our wall. But I, did, I, I think you're right. I think it's this 
um, almost tapping into a bigger mindset, you know, being aware of popular culture, if you like, or popular mediums that they know mean something to someone and using that to somehow try and suggest something, whether it's to you and, you know, to you or to Tina at the time or others coming in, it it creates a response whether "Mm, that doesn't really do anything or, oh, my God, what is that trying to tell me? Um, You know, it, it, it's kind of, t- it, it's doing that on different levels, I think, which again is just very suggestive of something far more intelligent, trying very to communicate. Yeah. yeah, very intelligent, very manipulative. Yes. Very um, groupthink like, very calculative, which I'm going back to what I'm, I'm saying. They're observing us too. Mm-hmm. And I have to think when you observe something, you're taking what you observe back to the collective. Yeah. You know, it's just not free willy. They're doing things, like I said, they did things to get a rise out of me. They did things to get a rise out of Tina. Like to purposely put female jury in the home, not children's jury, but female's jury in the home for Tina to find. Not me. I never found female jury. Tina always found them. And she would bring it to my attention because my job back then, sort of now, I worked from home a lot, you know, maybe two times, three times a week. So Tina would come from her eight hour, nine hour day to a guy who's already home all day. And for a woman to walk home and come in a home as ours, or any home for that matter, and attend to house chores, this normal stuff you do on a regular day of laundry, changing the sheets of the bed. And to find female jewelry, not yours, but and it being in the bathroom, it being in the kitchen sink, it be in the bed, in the bed, physical, in the bed, in the shower stall, is definitely them trying to get a rise out of it. Because it, it would, it would me. Yep. You know, if I, if I would come home and find a guy's shoe in the living room, kitchen, or, or den, Girl, yeah, I'd be upset. I'd be upset. I'd be livid if I found some guy's shoes on my side of the bed that were not. You know, I'd be livid then. Or a, 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 a toothbrush in my side of the sink that wasn't mine, Tina's. And they did that. So that, that purposely, in my opinion, they are being calculative. They're trying to get a ride. They're trying to start World War Three here. And Tina would come to me just fearing that, like, what's this? You know, we got the priest coming over in two hours to bless the house, and she's furious, rightfully so. And she's done, she, you know, she, she's not equating poltergeist with this level of stuff. The, minus all the stuff we've seen in her with our own eyes, I'm trying to convey to her, hey, remember what house we live in? Yeah, I know what house we live in, the house from hell, but it's not, this is, this is the, what's this woman jury doing over here? Well, you, you had somebody in the home while I was away. And, she has the physical jewelry in her hand. There's no question about that. That's a real jewelry. That's a real diamond, silver, whatever, earring or whatever. You're holding. I don't know how I got that to you. And let alone, we're on only your side of the day. You know, I've been home all day. I've never found and that's what they did. And for me to get a rise out of me, I would come to my office and then sometimes I would find Tina's bracelet, what I know is her bracelet, on my keyboard, on my safe, on 
my computer or computer printer. Well, that's me know. Oh, Tina's been rummaging through my office while I was gone. And I would say, hey, Tina, why are you rummaging through my office while I'm gone? What are you looking for? I'm finding your jewelry. It's almost like cookie crumb. I'm finding your jewelry in places in, 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 in the office. So tell me, what are you looking for? I can help you out. What are you looking for? Why, why all of when I'm gone are you rummaging through my office? And she'd be looking like, no, kid, I've never been in your office. I've been in your office all day. I hate your office. Your office is the office from hell. You know, it should be right here. Yeah, it is off from hell. But I'm finding your jewelry, your bracelet, you know, on my keyboard. And we have a whole hour, two hour conversation or argument behind that. And go to bed mad at each other, forget to do our daily, nightly prayer. And then guess what? We've just been manipulated. Yeah. You know, like a just game. Been controlled. Yeah. And another day gone by. And then bam, fire, bam, I do storm. Bam, 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 bam. New wall writing. And I think people need to look at that and be like, yeah, dude, that's, that's some stuff. That's, that's some, that's intelligence. Again, just very isolating because they're trying to isolate you from the, the other person experiencing it in that yeah. case, which is is so damaging you know it's so psychologically damaging to to become that alone where you are arguing with your you know with a significant person in your life who's experiencing the exact same thing but it almost almost makes it something that you're experiencing something that tina is experiencing as well as you experiencing something together and so it is this constant relentless attack in different forms and in different ways again a bit like warfare and again i don't think it's necessarily understood in that way just how relentless it can be whether it's something small and subversive you know sub subversive or something very large like water puddles or or spontaneous fires being set and all these other things it can be something small and something very big but the totality of that is really very significant. Yeah, like I say, it's psychological warfare. It's what nations do to other nations during war. There's the physical bah, 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 boy. There's the leafless drop. There's the monitoring of communication. And then there's the manipulation of the government and the politics to, to, take, to take a nation down, to make them lose and lose focus of what it is their initiative is. Our initiative as a as a couple was to fight this thing. Our support system was family, friends, and friends and family, the local church, and a few paranormal teams. Where things start being blown up, no pun intended, was when we're battling each other. You know, we're arguing over this and this and that. We're oh okay, we're not we're not we're not unified anymore. We're isolated. And we were warned, we were admonished that this would happen. But it doesn't change the fact that it still happens. And when it happens, you I mean, you're the last one to know you're being manipulated when you've been manipulated. And when you see your partner being manipulated, and vice versa, it's hard to convince him or her. Like I was like, I'll tell Tina, hey Tina, we, everything that happens here on out, we gotta question and ring through a prison. Okay, we gotta filter very deep because Remember where we live at. Remember this is where we live. We, you know, and it's easier said than done. And then it'll work for a little while. But once again, you fall back into that old mind frame of thinking of, well, I hope Keith is taking advantage of me. Oh, Tina is taking advantage of me. 
She's thinking about kindness for weakness. Keith is, you know, having an affair. And on top of this, he's still having an affair. He's bringing women when I'm not present. He thinks I'm stupid. Nobody wants to be thought of as viewed as stupid or naive. And they they listen to that. They, they know all of that. We need to sleep eight hours out of a 24-hour day, hopefully. They don't, you know. They're there all the time. They've been there before we arrive. They're there when we sleep, awake, having dinner, supper, talking. I'm on the phone talking to people. They're there all the time. And they're listening. And they're like, we're going to try this today. We're going to do this today. So, yeah, the the psychological of anybody who who deals with this will tell you is way worse than the physical. And, you know, I think it's, again, it's the relentless nature of it because you mentioned how this is something that doesn't just stay with you in that home. It's something that follows you effectively. You know, you can experience these things elsewhere, whether it's in a restaurant, 300 miles away in a hotel room. You know, it's it's something that, that follows and doesn't just disappear. You don't get a break from it. So it is, again, that relentless nature of it. The documentation that you've done is one thing, which is fabulous as an account of step by step. This is what was experienced. This is how it happened. This is how it manifested. This is how it escalated. But again, one of, one of the things that I really, really, really applaud you for is opening up a narrative about some of the other possibilities, the research, the thoughts, explanations that go beyond just the the typical poltergeist haunting is this, and this is the only explanation. You're offering other other possibilities and thoughts, and I, I really do applaud you for that. And a logical question to ask is what you think some of those that physics involved is. You know, what are your key thoughts, your key takeaways as to what you think the poltergeist activity really is, the thing, what could be causing it, what they're what they're using, if you like. As my case as the example and, and a few others, I, I think Portuguese particularly are third party sentient intelligent beings that operate from a hidden universe, a hidden dimension next to our own. Quantum mechanics, the uh, theory that Einstein was reluctant to accept but finally did, uh, because the math is there suggests that there are hidden dimensions close to the human being, to the human eye. There's much more that we cannot see. 99.99% of the universe, our human eyes cannot even see, let alone detect. And these entities operate from that domain. They can uh, interact at will, just like you and me can interact with, for example, subpar species of fish in a fishbowl. A fish in a fishbowl there's an eliminated confined universe, and knows nothing of the outside world, even though the fishbowl is made of glass, okay? And you and I, looking above it, can see it too, and we can interact with it, we can put food in there, put new gravel in there, new rocks, whatever. And the fish is totally unaware of what's causing these things. It's like, hey, who keeps moving me around? Who keeps, you know, I, I love the food that's being given to me, but I necessarily don't understand what's going on here. But I'm alive, so I'm going to, you know, back the hand to feed me. These entities are looking at us the same way. It's sort of like the old proverb, throw stones and hide your hand. I mean that specifically. Portuguese could throw stones, literally, and hide their hand. 
and you not know where that stone or came from or the direction that it came from. That's why some of these stones when picked up or hot or cold to the touch. I think I give a, a brief description as to why that's so in my book. Um, these objects travel very far. They move very fast. The heat you're feeling from a rock or coin or whatever that was recently thrown is because whatever was thrown was traveling at immense speed through air. It is the friction of the air onto that object that causes it to heat up. And everybody will tell you these objects travel at immense speeds. That's why we call them projectiles. And they leave large gashes and holes and walls and do considerable damage. It can hurt if they hit somebody. And those that travel can do zigzag and figure eights and flip-flop in the midair. And we're like, how is that even done? But it is. So, yeah. Uh, but if you're working or operating from a hidden or closed dimension, your laws of physics are going to be superior to our own. To us, it, it looks like magic. To them, it's just, we're just able to do this. Like, you and I are able to do things to where an animal sees it. It is like magic. So, um Science says there are 11, if not more, hidden dimensions. And I think, uh, based on the evidence from the Bothell House and others, uh, supports that. You know, it's not far-fetched. You know, people want to prove me wrong, prove the, the mathematical quantum physics wrong, uh, based on my assumptions on what they provide. But they said, yeah, the human eye sees only in one uh, spectrum, but there are other spectrums, microwave, radiation, things of that nature, infrared, those are spectrums of light as well that we have to use machines to aid us. But those spectrums exist. So yeah, that's what I believe. We're, looking, we're talking about a, a third-party entity uh, with enormous capability. doesn't make them God. Uh, I say this very specifically. makes them God-like based on our understanding of the deity. Uh, we tend to put things that exceed our capability in a deity, these entities have deity-like characteristics. They can cause objects to light on fire within a second. You and I can't do that. We need an accelerant, cigarette lighter, or lighter. I can't think and look at a book and say, start on fire. That's not going to happen. Things can with these entities. And I get theories, I get theories as to why they can't do that. Physics does support that. We just can't do it. And I think there's something um, very much about us as a species whereby if it's something that we can't see, if it's something that we can't hear, if it's if it's beyond us and something of our making, somehow, therefore, it, it doesn't exist. Um, we have a bit of a God, God complex, I think. And 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 I think you're right. There is so much more that we we as humans and our frailties and and our inability limits us there are things that we don't hear that other animals do animals see in different ways we limit our thinking based on that perception of that it somehow all revolves around us and again one of the really interesting things that i think you cover in the night side of physics is this discussion around things like sound waves invisible sound waves and how that might be responsible for some of the phenomena like things levitating things smashing literally almost imploding from the inside out you know um things like the water puddles all of these phenomena could be explained by other aspects of science and again 
that's the type yeah. of stuff, the exciting stuff that I wish we spent more time talking and thinking about and putting energy into because it's 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 as of yet, I think the kind of the side of it that we haven't tapped into enough, in my opinion. Yeah, I mean, infrared or infrared uh, sound waves, sonic sound waves, infrasound sound waves. I did not know it, but when I read, I'm like, wow, the similarities are so uncanny of the invisible sound waves that humans can't hear. And you're right. Our senses, and it's probably by design, and I have to believe evolution does this as a means of protecting us because some of these sound waves, if hurt, they can't harm you. Even if, even if the sound waves we can't hear, can't do harm to the human mind and body. But they have interesting characteristics, these infrasounds. And they can, it's been proven in laboratories, that infrasound can move or lift objects, that they can move and lift heavy objects. Science is just now at the early, early, early infant stage of understanding what that is and how, how it's done. Therefore, it doesn't mean that something more intelligent uh, operated from another dimension could do it very easy compared to, you know, we need machines to fly. These objects that are moving in homes, haunted homes, uh, I always tell people, you know, when you look at the invisible sound waves, we have to look for the trends. And the trends are very weird and uncanny when you look at invisible sound waves animals can detect. Invisible sound waves animals can hear. And there's been documented cases of homes with animals or pets of the animals behaving weirdly in a poltergeist environment. We know through historical cases of tsunamis uh, happening all over the world that the animals uh, in the Sri Lanka uh, tsunami several years back, where the animals vacated the beach areas within hours of the tsunami arriving. And that's because the sound arrived first, that therefore they are instinctively going to higher ground, whereas humans, we don't go to higher ground. We, we didn't hear with the naked ear. If you not listen to a radio or have something tell you, you could be in serious trouble. But animals purposely know how to move away, even sometimes from a volcano erupting. These are documented cases where we look at a volcano like, oh, man, it blew up today. Something blew up today. Not understanding, well, yeah, it blew up today, but it's been preparing that for quite some time. It's been about to blow up for weeks or months or years. And the sound wave reaches a certain pitch to the animals knowing too and they move away while we might be slow and reluctant to move. So I noticed a similarity with how science was saying what are the uh, ramifications of invisible sound waves. And it was objects moving, uh, animals could hear. There's a sense of feeling of being watched associated with invisible sound waves. There's an uneasy feeling associated with invisible sound waves. You can cause equipment malfunction up to the point of even rebooting on its own. You can also cause equipment to have battery or power failure on its own by use of invisible sound waves. You can create water puddles 
or the appearance of water through invisible sound waves. You could start spontaneous fires through invisible sound waves. So I give a description of my theory of the entity with these capabilities built within its DNA, within its makeup. No entity is not walking around the Bothell House waving an invisible sound wave device in my office. Okay, well, objects not flying. I'm going to wave at this device in Keith's office and make objects. No, the entity is the sound wave. Everything on Earth or in this galaxy, us included, has a frequency, gives off a frequency. And why should we think entities are any different? You and I talk, breathe, and some of us, same species as humans, can excel to better, bigger feats as far as track and field, running, swimming, holding your breath. But we're all from the same species, but there are some of us who excel greater than others. And entities or poltergeists are the same way. Not every poltergeist house has experienced a spontaneous fire. And I believe that's because that species of poltergeist that is capable of creating spontaneous fires is not in the home. Those who have experienced spontaneous fire, that poltergeist has the proclivity and ability to execute it. It's very interesting now, today, 2023, you don't hear spontaneous fire cases as much as you often heard in the early 1900s. I'm talking about civilized countries, I'm talking about modern countries. But you still hear about them in third world countries, of the fire poltergeists, deadly fires to put mind to shame in remote parts of the world where technology where monitoring systems, where listening systems, where detection systems has not reached them. You know, what saved me and Tina was the smoke and alarm detector when our, when our fires erupted. In third parts of the world, they don't have that. The house I live in now has a robust sprinkler system. So the Portuguese is gonna start firing Keith on his home today. It's not gonna have the awe and horrific effect because the smoke alarm is going to go off. And if that doesn't go off and the fire has started, once we reach a certain apex, this water sprinkler system is going to kick in. Whereas you got a third uh, country or somewhere remote, you're going to have, they won't have these, these luxuries. And those are the poltergeist's playground, those that start fires. That's why you see a congregation, if you will, my theory, in my opinion, you see a congregation of what I call pyro poltergeist today in third part countries of the world. You know, Southern Asia, parts of Africa, rural South America, where it takes by Jeep days to hike in. And you get to these remote places and you see the places, you're like, wow. But the people will tell you, the characteristics are all the same. Fire started abruptly. No root cause, things just burn, in addition to the other activity and phenomena that happen. But I, I cannot find, since the Bothell House in North America, United States specifically, of another Portuguese case where fire is a problem. I know that I have other Portuguese cases because I get them emails all the time, 
I've not found one, even in the UK, I have one of, of fires or from Australia or Asia, somewhere in Japan, China, stuff like that. But in a rural country, yeah. So I know they're still happening, but I think that those Portuguese have migrated, if you will, to remote areas. Same thing with stone throwing. I cannot find a recent stone throwing. And if you notice, the farther back you go, Portuguese activity, one of the main activity was stone throwing. I mean, the, the, the older I get with Portuguese cases, the most symptoms I see are the pebbles or rocks that are hitting the houses or flying through the window. Some houses don't even, they even have glass back then, the rock just flew in. There was no glass hot, which essentially the clay, a stucco. And so those are really easily noticeable. But today, 2023, if a Portuguese was to throw a rock at my house on the roof, I would hear because I got so many appliances on, you know? It had to be a significant rock. I have TV on all day, I have this on all day. There's so many noises that's gonna drown that out, whereas the remote part of the world where they have no appliance in the home, where you gotta cook your food outside. Yeah, rock, and my, rock being thrown while you're trying to sleep or a, a, a pocket full of rocks or maybe 20 or more coming at the same time through a window or through a roof. That's gonna be significant to somebody who has to cook their food outside. But for you and me, you don't see, you don't hear about those cases anymore. They, the Portuguese in modern world has moved on to other things. Like my Alexa, I'm pretty sure you've heard other people's Alexa, who sort of shrug it off. It talks sometimes, it just by itself. It just talks or answers its own command. I'm like, well, who, who told you to do that, Alexa? Yeah. <laughs> you know, and we, we shrug it off. And you see an article, I ah, just, Amazon listening. Is it really Amazon? No. I mean, Amazon, I know, because I, I, I have friends who work for Amazon. I live in Seattle, headquarters of Amazon. I could easily email the creator of Alexa and ask him, did you program? Is there a program, something in the code? And, they, and they're like, hey, we're just as dumbfounded as we are in the R&D department as the world is. We don't know why Alexa does this. Google the same way, you know? I know the people who design these softwares, they're friends of mine, they're colleagues of mine, and, they, and they're just as dumbfounded, but it's not gonna make front page. They're not gonna say, guys or something. They're just as dumbfounded, it's not programmed to do that. It can't do that, but you get examples of, why is my Alexa talking to me when I didn't give it, I didn't even answer the question, or it's executing something, you know? Invisible sound waves. Something is talking to it, to where it's responding, so yeah. I think it's learning as well. You know, I think it's learning what we have. It's oh, yes. adapting. Oh, yeah. And and again, just something very, very intellectual about that and quite quite haunting in itself because it very much speaks to you mentioned it's talk something's talking. I I do think there is something communicating with us. And in this case, something very intelligent, something quite manipulative and malevolent and Again, yeah. I think it's using what people have and mirroring that back to them. And if it's using complex devices like Alexa, it's it's got that capability. And it's it's like you said, it's it's using things that maybe we don't have full understanding of yet. But I think the more we discuss, the more we look into these things, the more we and having a narrative around these things. I think 
the possibilities begin to open up as to what could be happening. And from, from my perspective, I would love nothing more than to see a re-evaluation and a really good comprehensive study of poltergeist cases, but opening up what a poltergeist case looks like to include far more current examples, these examples that maybe have been dismissed as something else, reevaluate them, look at historic cases, look at present cases, and start to maybe reclassify and rethink what we what we believe we know already, because I think there's far more that we don't know than what we do know. Oh, we know nothing. Yeah. We, we, we know, we know, we know the zilch. It happened that's our own fault. Yeah. Uh, because we, like I say, we have this conscious bias of wanting to prove our theory to be the correct theory and don't look at other theories or other facts or other data. So we just focus on one aspect of the phenomena. And uh, that's a problem that, that hinders us advancing the field or our knowledge uh, of what's happening. Uh, but it should, be, it should be a surprise to those who study poltergeist or the paranormal when you take into account majority of the EVPs that Steve and others captured at the Bothell House was voices that they found on recordings, audio or video that they reviewed later and upon review and put it through sensitive sound to enhance the sound uh, or to remove background noise, heard these well uh, enunciated intelligent thought conversations of a male talking to a male, a uh, male talking to a female, sometimes it's female only, or child voice. These are voices that the human ear did not hear, but the recording device did. This is a tape recorder or MP3 audio voice recorder or whatever, but it's still an electronic device. From a high level, it's no different than Alessa. Yeah. Okay. Alessa has a microphone in built into it, and it pulls information in. These devices do the same thing. The naked ear cannot hear, but Alexa being on all the time hears and listens. So it's hearing voices that you and I don't hear. And therefore, if it's hearing a voice, it's hearing a command. Now, where this is going to get interesting, what I believe a theory is, as society, I mean, as human beings, as we advance with our technology and gadgets, keep in mind, 20 years ago, we didn't have the internet, or let's go back 10 years ago. 10 years ago, well, I'll say 15. 15 years ago, the only time you had to get on the internet was used at home. That's the only time you had access to your internet. We now have access to the internet everywhere we go. The internet follows you, it's in your pocket, it's in your cell phone. The internet's in your car. The internet's in your restaurant. Every time you go to a restaurant, my friends always, always laugh. They're like, what's the Wi-Fi password here? <laughs> it's like, everybody wants to know the Wi-Fi or the restaurant they're in, you know, like. So the internet is everywhere now. And we didn't have that 15, 20 years ago. Every time you had to go to the internet, you had to rush home and get on your computer and get on a landline or a 56K modem or something and dial out. Now it became more streamlined. And now you have the internet on all these gadgets and they're all connected, okay? So I tell people, because I, I, I study IT, this is what we do. It's our virus, it's our malware spread. If I'm a poltergeist, I can go from house to house. Usually back in the day, a poltergeist would, would, would just say, for lack of a word, body jump, okay? So it body jumped, it jumped into an object, an animate object, a doll, a tricycle, a bike, a pillow, or whatever. Some sort of trinket that you bought in the thrift store and then you take it home with you, now the Portuguese is in your home. Now the Portuguese has the internet, okay? 
it can go through the internet and get it to everybody's home. All right? Because we're all connected. You know? If I send you an email and put an attachment onto you, that's why some, some people want to email them or they download my books in the ebooks or have a communication with me via Zoom, chat, or Facebook. They have an activity immediately on their end. Something goes wrong. Their dogs go crazy. Cats go crazy. Because the poltergeist, I believe, is traveling through the internet. Okay? It's energy. We already know it's energy already. It's energy uh, and all the time it manifests when it shows its physical size when it manifests. But until it manifests, it's energy. And energy travels. And it can travel the speed of light through the internet. So it's traveling almost to the speed of light. And get to two places at one time. And it has an arena. It has the whole world as its playground now. So every advancement that we make, they make. Okay, going back to Upper Mirror. So that's why I believe you see today, people tell you, you know, the smart devices are acting up. This is acting up, this is acting up, this is this, this, this is acting up. And I believe it, they're, 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 they're everywhere because the internet is always on. It's not something you can turn off. Like I said, if a virus spreads, if, you open up a, if I open up a virus in my company where I work for today, if I get an outside email and don't run a virus scan by opening it, it takes down not only my computer, it takes every computer down in the company. So a, 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 a podcast could be the same way. Going back to my neighborhood, the Bothell House, where the guy was talking about, you know, everybody's talking about their alarm systems going off, giving off false positives, but not. There's so much Wi-Fi, there's so much Wi-Fi around that, yeah, it's very easy for a, a, a poltergeist to traverse. And they do, I believe they do traverse. I, I believe they do, electronically. They didn't have that capability 50, 60 years ago. But they have it now, and the more handheld devices we have with the internet built in, guess what? They can traverse that too. It's very, it's very, you're right, it's very interesting, and it should be talked about, we should be like, comparing most society and I believe we would leap, take leaps in understanding this phenomena if we did that versus these outdated theories which I believe are just dinosaurs now. We, we know so much now that the late great Colin Wilson's and all these other people who did pave the way so I give them respect in that regards but they did not have what we have now you know I think it's about trying to add to the picture that we already have it's not a case of kicking it out of the door it's it's no. re-evaluating it it's a jigsaw you know and it's a picture that i think continues to grow if we continue to look at it and examine and talk about it and yeah. again i just think that's the really important aspect that sometimes gets overlooked you know investigators researchers we can go into a situation we can have something happen um, we can hear something we can capture something and it's like great we've experienced this but it's the what do you then do with it? It's what do you then test or set up with that bit of information or activity that you've experienced? It's what can we learn from that? What yeah. can we add to the discussion around that that I think is is what would be really fantastic. And and like I said, this is where coming back to your books, your three books, you've got two which very much focus on the experiences that you had, that Tina had, that helped to really highlight your case which does show that real range of type of phenomena but then we've got this book which is you know the, the night side of physics which really does 
try and bring in some of that discussion, that rhetoric that I think would be great if we could have more of that. So they are they are three books that I highly recommend for people interested in parapsychology, in poltergeist cases, just the paranormal in general. They are three really phenomenal books to look at, to look at as a case study, but some of that science and some of that discussion, as I've mentioned. So I'm going to make, make sure to kind of include all of the links for those on the website and in the podcast description notes so that people can easily find you along with, you know, your website and obviously your YouTube channel, which you've got, which is Keith L YouTube. Um, yeah. Because there's just so many resources, so many fantastic things that you're putting out there. You're not safeguarding it. You're not keeping it to yourself. You're basically saying, here's some evidence. Take it, run with it. What can you learn from this? What can you do with this? Um, it's for no other game than putting it out there into the public domain for people to really learn from, to, to try and build this picture as we've been mentioning. And you know, I think that's really fantastic that you are putting it out there as I say, for, for the for the purposes of really trying to add to the picture that we have and our understanding. So, yeah, I will make sure to add all of those details easily so people can come and find you. And I can't thank you enough for coming and chatting because it's it's so, like I said right at the very start, I think this is a bit of a misunderstood area that people have a perception of, and I think we need to start challenging that perception. So thank you so much for sh- coming and sharing, you know, your experiences and sharing some of your thoughts, really. So thank you so much, Keith. Hey, thanks for uh, having me. Thanks for the uh, good back and back uh, question and answer. And you're right. I, I, I believe in, in information sharing. It's the only way we're going to learn. And I don't have all the answers. Nobody does. But we have to start by sharing. So it was good to uh, be here and talk to you. And uh Yeah, I hope you stay in touch. And I will say goodbye to everybody listening. Bye, everybody.